0: It is financial crisis day three. This is the Planet Money podcast. I'm Adam Davidson, and I'm here with Laura Conway. Hello, how you doing? We are trying this experiment, which we tried yesterday, and we liked it. Answering your questions.
1: So, or do you guys have questions?
0: We have a lot of questions.
1: Yeah. So what's happening right now um, as we speak is that I think AIG is out there trying to get a deal to stay right. alive. Right. With this right?
0: fast-moving story, we should say it's six minutes until four on September 16th. Um, Lehman Brothers seems like it might at least have a small rescue package from Barclays Bank. AIG, uh, the giant insurer was supposed to be saved by a consortium of banks. It looks like that has fallen apart. We're waiting to find out if the federal government's going to step in or what's going to happen there. People are very nervous.
1: Our first question, straight from the apocalypse, from Ari. My retirement money's with Solomon Smith Barney. How much should I worry? Should I take the hit and take out the money and keep it under my mattress or buy gold and keep it in a safe? Seriously, are these legitimate concerns?
0: These are certainly legitimate concerns. It would be a huge mistake, in my personal view, to sell now. I should say, I'm not in a position to give financial advice. No, you certainly Consult your are personal not. financial advisor. But um, it is a classic sucker's move to panic sell at, during a crisis. Um, if you own stocks, if you own a mutual fund, you should own those for the long term. And... Overall, over time, stocks go up. We have every reason to think stocks will go up again. You shouldn't be even looking at it. I don't even look at my 401k statement during times like this. I'll look at it, you know, sometime around Christmas. If
1: you lost your money in Fannie and Freddie, forget it. You already lost your money.
0: Oh, yeah. If you own Lehman stock, if you own Fannie and Freddie stock, if you own Merrill. Lynch stock. I mean, that's baked in. That's done.
1: You don't need to look.
2: You don't need to look.
1: There's nothing to hide under your mattress. We have a special guest, Mike Pasco, who's over here acting like he's about to strangle.
2: Yes. No, I just wanted to. I love yesterday's podcast. I, I just want to serve the function of if there's something that confused me, I want to jump in. It, let's say you really did want to own gold. Does that mean to literally buy literal gold? Isn't well, now there a it's way much easier.
0: That? It's much easier now. They have something called an exchange-traded fund where you can just buy. Uh, on your computer, using Ameritrade or E-Trade, we're not endorsing any of those, but you know, using some you know, very easily. You can buy and sell gold all day to your heart's content. I don't recommend it, but it's very easy to do without ever physically owning gold. You're owning a paper certificate that's worth its weight in gold. No. That's it. <laughs>
1: all right. Next question, C. Burke. Wants to know, what about potential class action suits by shareholders of Fannie, Freddie, Lehman, Merrill, AIG? His understanding, her understanding, is a lawsuit against the CEO or board of directors would be paid by an insurance company. Is this true?
0: There are going to be... So many lawsuits, so many shareholder lawsuits, so many investor lawsuits, it will blow your mind. I mean, literally, this is Google securities lawsuit or investor lawsuit. You will find so many. This is going to be a multi billion dollar business.
1: Next question. Patricia. I think she's talking about your talk today on Talk of the Nation. I'm not sure. But it's, it's, she's asking a question about FDI insurance for savings. FDIC. FDIC, excuse me. If your deposit in any one bank is less than $100,000, you are okay. Is one account defined by the ownership of the account or by the account itself? In other words, if you have an account with a child, is that two people, one account? What is that?
0: I got this email earlier, and I looked it up. I posted a link, so it's on npr.org slash money, um, to the FDIC website with the relevant information. But I'll quickly summarize. As I understand it, I'm not a lawyer. Consult the FDIC. Consult your local bank. But my understanding is this. If I have an account in my name at a bank... And my wife and I have an account in our name at the same bank. And I also, as a company, I have my own company that's incorporated. I have that account at the bank. Three accounts. Three accounts. Each one of those is covered up to $100,000 because they are three separate categories of ownership. But if I myself have four accounts that's just in my name that add up to $120,000, Only the first hundred thousand are covered.
1: You're one actor.
2: When you're one actor, one category of ownership. All right. So a checking and a savings account. Yeah. If I have a checking account, a savings account, they don't each get a hundred thousand. A hundred thousand of insurance, right? Right. My
1: my checking account alone would expose me to risk. Then
2: you have over a hundred thousand.
0: Oh yeah, and you should
1: see my secondary and tertiary. Wow. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) You're working for me. I'm kidding. All right. Emily is thirty-two and working in nonprofit administration. She recently concluded that a master's degree would really increase my career opportunities and earning power. However, I'm worried I will accumulate a significant amount more debt only to find myself in a recession slash depression economy. Any thoughts?
0: I think overall education is always good. It dramatically increases your long-term earning potential. We don't predict the future here. We don't believe anyone who says they can, so we don't know how long there's going to be a recession. But, you know, they generally don't last that long. The long-term, the, the most pessimistic economists I talk to say, by end of 2009, we should be picking up. I can't give you advice because I don't know enough about your circumstances. And even if I did, I'm not a, you know, a financial advisor or anything. But um, I Go think for it. education is a really good idea.
1: From Kay, I think this might be a yes or no question. My 82-year-old dad used to work for EF Hutton as an account executive, and he is currently receiving his pension check from Lehman Brothers. Will he keep getting his pension checks?
0: My gut sense would be yes, but um, this is something that is ugly about pensions. They can get tied up in bankruptcy proceedings and the like. So that, you know, I would would consult a lawyer, I guess, on that one.
1: Okay, Jim, what do you think of returning the highest income tax rate to 91% as it was back in the 1950s and 60s? It seems to me that would remove the temptation to create wildly ruinous investment products like toxic
0: waste. That seems like a shockingly awful suggestion (laughs) I would say that that's one of the most destructive things I could possibly imagine I think it's pretty easy to imagine what would happen if, if the I mean I would say that a lot more has been gained than lost by rich people wanting to become rich I think that You know, rich people would have a huge incentive either to leave the country altogether or to spend an awful lot of their energy avoiding paying income taxes. Seems like a lousy idea. The problem here was not greed. People keep saying the problem was greed. In my view, greed is a fixed entity. Sure, the problem was greed, but the problem is always greed. Greed exists. And sometimes the solution is greed. And sometimes the solution is greed. I mean, for me, the beauty of capitalism is that at its best, it harnesses greed towards, you know, the invisible hand, Adam Smith, um, greater social purpose. So, um, yeah, I think I can't imagine a worse idea. That's a horrible idea.
1: Carrie, what can the federal government actually do to stabilize the financial market in the short term? They're pumping tons of money in there for one thing, right? Yeah. I mean,
0: the, the thing is the, the federal government could do, you know, they could really eliminate the volatility and the swings. They could say we are going to bail out every institution that does poorly. We are going to guarantee a fixed bottom to stock prices. We are going to guarantee all of this stuff. The problem is, what's the cost? The issue isn't, can the federal government do it? It's, what happens if the federal government does it? First of all, there's a direct cost. We taxpayers have to pay that bill. And if it's not us paying the bill, it's our children and grandchildren paying the bill through debt. So that's a direct cost. But there's an indirect cost. Capitalism works best when you take risks and you win if it succeeds and you lose if it fails. If the federal government made the precedent that, well, if things get rocky enough, we're going to come in and rescue everybody and we're going to make everything okay, then people would take. Bigger risks. They'd worry less about the downside to their actions. And so, that's a more, bad.
1: so a more moderate response. What are they doing to stabilize the market right now? Give me two, if you could, small, specific things. Nothing is small here, but two discrete things the federal government has done in the last couple of days.
0: Well, one thing is something they didn't do today. They did not lower the interest rate. So we thought that – or some people thought there was a good chance the Fed would lower the interest rate today. What that would do is effectively add more money to the economy, which would mean that banks and then other customers would feel like, oh, there's more money out there. We can borrow more for less money. We'll grow more. But the Fed clearly thought that has a risk of causing inflation and also sending a signal that – we're always gonna be there to help you out when things get bad. So not doing that today was a very powerful and strong message that the Fed is not gonna step in every time things get ugly and make things a little calmer, a little easier. Okay, that's one. That's one. Um, The second thing they did was, well, this is a contradictory thing. On Sunday, they said we aren't, another thing they didn't do is they said, we're not bailing out Lehman Brothers, which was supposed to send a strong signal the federal government is no longer going to bail out big, troubled financial institutions. The problem is even as we speak, they're meeting with AIG and they might bail them out. So um, I don't and know if how strong did, that message is.
1: If they did that, presumably they would do that because they would think that a failure of AIG would be a large hit to the system in a way that the failure of Lehman Brothers would not be.
0: Yes, that's right.
1: Dan wants to know about mergers and acquisitions, Um, Bank of America soaking up Merrill Lynch. Said, Won't there just be fewer larger companies that are, quote, too big to fail?
0: Yes. As a general rule, having fewer bigger companies is not great. It's nice to have competition. It's nice to have, um, you know, you don't want power concentrated in a few small companies as a general rule. What we may be witnessing, and this is all through the financial press, is the death of the investment bank business model. Since the Great Depression, there's been two different business models for banks. One is a regular bank, the... Savings bank. Savings bank. It's the Bailey Savings Bank, like from It's Wonderful Life. I take your deposit. I lend it to Mike. End a story. The investment bank model is much, more, is much different. Investment banks don't actually tech i mean at the core it's not that they own things they advise others they structure money into new forms and sell it to other people it's a more speculative thing the core thing though is that investment banks borrow money short term they borrow money every day billions of dollars a day and lend it out long term they do that cuz you can borrow money cheaply overnight and lend it out for more over the long term so 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 investment banks, they can't survive a bad afternoon. They are – every day they have to re-borrow all of their money and if the market loses confidence in them, even for just a few hours, even Mm -hmm. for a panic – yeah, boom. Whereas an actual commercial savings bank, they actually own something. They actually have wealth. Um, So they are more rugged. So there's a theory and we'll see. There are only two investment banks left. On Friday of last week, there were four. A year ago, there were five. That's amazing. Big investment banks. There are other smaller investment banks.
2: Let's say that yesterday or two days ago, I became a single-issue voter in the presidential election. And I want one of the candidates – I would vote for either one who says the right thing about how to handle this economic crisis. What sorts of things would you look for one of these two candidates to say? Or maybe the answer is actually it's just the Fed should keep doing what it's doing. All right. If I could
0: imagine my dream candidate's speech, it would be, first of all, as president, there's not a whole lot I can do. That would lose you so many votes. Yes. (laughs) But of the things I can do, here's what I will do. I will appoint a really great Fed chairman and let the Fed do its job. I'm not going to tell him what to do. I'm going to let him be politically independent. I don't know if I'm going to raise taxes or cut spending, but I'm going to do something to make sure that we spend less money than we
2: get. No budget deficits. You want a candidate uh, we, who emphasizes that? No, I'm okay that. with budget deficits, but less of a budget okay, deficit. Okay.
0: You know? So, okay, I'm going to just tell everyone that trade is good. Trade helps America, and the more trade, the better for America. There's going to be some people who are hurt in the short run, but even they are going to benefit in the long run. Trade is good. Trust me on this. I'm going to unilaterally lower trade barriers. Um, I'm trying to think what else I would want. I've already – eliminated even the remote
2: responsibility of my candidate right. winning you lost almost every voter uh except you know the uh columbian harvard business school guy right but what about regulation all right what do you want them to say about regulation i'm gonna have them say more
0: or less is not the way to talk about regulation smart and stupid is the way to talk about regulation
2: well the people who want less always say that
0: <laughs> right I guess, yeah, <laughs> but more isn 't good either. I mean, I think smart regulation is the way to go. Um, I could get into some of the things that I think of, although you know i 'm not saying i 'm the last word in this. I mean I think that the parts of our economy that act like insurance companies, like you know we 're suddenly learning that investment banks kind of act like insurance companies for the rest of the economy that maybe they shouldn't be quite as leveraged as they were. Mm -hmm. Maybe there should be a change there. Um, I think that there are an awful lot of kind of arbitrary and stupid rules, like this mark-to-market accounting where every financial institution every day has to put a number on exactly how much it's worth that day, even if there's no – it it creates a barrier to acting, and it destroys companies and destroys – Initiative,
2: and from what I understand, some of those numbers are so just based on nothing they 're based on air, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I hear populist rhetoric like let's tax the oil companies and let 's end wall Street greed. Uh, that just doesn 't seem serious to me. it doesn't seem helpful. it seems really silly, I mean, obviously, I was referring to Barack Obama just now, but John McCain, you know his comments i don 't find helpful either. I mean when he says the fundamentals of our economy are strong the day that two of four investment banks disappear. I mean, I get what he was saying, and I could say was saying, because the people are strong. Because the people and, are strong, is, and the so, core so, system is- So I is, guess you
2: could excuse it by, oh, it's actually just a platitude. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's either a platitude or uh, ignorance. I think um, in the middle of the worst days of the subprime crisis, when he said, what this needs more than anything is less regulation. I mean, he actually just said less. Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily what we need. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think when you – the more you understand economics, in my view, the less you can really listen to any politician, which is why like someone like Paul Krugman or Brad DeLong on the left and any number of people on the right, I just don't see how they get into candidates. I just – I honestly don't understand it. How do you how do you get into liking a candidate?
1: Rose says she's noticed that the markets, at least in the U.S., are holding relatively steady, maybe even gaining. What, quote, good news is this based on? Is there a silver lining or happy ending somewhere that I'm not aware of?
0: Uh, you know, markets, the general pull is upwards. You know, if you look over the at a, at a graph over the last 100 years or whatever, I mean, you see down bits and then it goes up again. I mean, even the Great Depression, if you look at the graph, looks like a blip. And we assume that we're in a blip period. So overall, the silver lining is we, I, most people who run the economy, which is not I, obviously, but, you know, have confidence in the long-term viability of the system. Also, there are sectors that are doing great this is a fabulous time to be in agriculture. It's a fabulous time to be exporting things to the rest of the world. The dollar's cheap, you're selling a lot. So, you know, it's not a great time to be a financial company. It's a wonderful time to be an American wine company. It's a wonderful time to be an American auto parts manufacturer. Much better than it was a few years ago.
1: Which brings us to Chris, who is noting economic bubbles and the tendency of the economy to have them. Tech stock bubble, home value bubble, he says. Has the economy always been so bubble based and what's the next sector vulnerable to this sort of thing
0: there have been bubbles since the dawn of capitalism there have been bubbles for a long time there are many many bubbles over the years it does seem a little quick a little odd to have two big bubbles right in a row there is an argument that they're actually the same bubble kind of it's complicated um, we don't know what the next bubble is <laughs> there's a theory that it's you know green technology. You know, by by its very nature, a bubble is a time of irrational exuberance, a time when people believe that the world has fundamentally changed and the old rules no longer apply. So where will that happen next? I don't know. I just hope I don't lose money in it, I guess.
1: So we've saved a haymaker for you right here at the end. From RR, how does peak oil apocalypse fit into our financial collapse how far off are we from a long emergency or world-made-by-hand type collapse?
0: That doesn't feel on the table in any way, shape, or form. Peak oil, for those who don't know, is a theory very popular on the Internet. Search peak oil. You'll see lots of stuff on it. That basically we, ha- we are not going to find – we've used – how do I say this? We have – reach the maximum amount of oil. And from here on out, it's just less and less oil. Ski and the price goes down. Yeah, and the yeah. price goes up and up. And um, we aren't going to be able to have cheap energy and the whole system will collapse. There have been many, many times in the last couple hundred years that we have been told we have reached the end of our system for one reason or another. I don't buy it. I think that, yes, energy might be more expensive. It's possible, although it's worth noting that oil prices are now below 100. You know, there's a time when $92 a barrel oil would not be seen as a good thing. But, you know, it is these days. Um, There's a lot of really smart minds working on cheaper energy. I just – I think people's minds, when they don't understand something, is to go to the absolute worst possible scenario. I don't think – I think we're fine. I think a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, you know, a recession or a downturn, it always feels this bad. And then, you know, three years from now, I'm not going to be able to get on the radio. People aren't going to listen to the podcast as much because they're not going to care about economics because they're too busy doing their job and spending their money. Ringing the bell. (laughs) That's it. Would you say we've hit peak podcast then? Not yet.
1: You've got 31 seconds.
2: Mike, any questions? I would just like to point out that too many bubbles together equals foam. We are in a foamy
0: period. That is actually a language that people use. This is a frothy – frothy is another word that people use for the radical um, volatility. Let me just quickly – I will end on this. We are something like 20 years into a new financial system, starting in the 80s, really hitting its stride in the 90s, and taking a leap forward in – this decade is a new financial system of credit derivatives and complicated financial instruments, all this stuff you might hear about, CDSs and CDOs and mortgage-backed securities. Well, mortgage-backed securities are a little older, but collateralized debt obligations and some other things. These are new things. We haven't figured them out yet. Any new technology, the printing press, paper money, metal money – Democracy. I mean, these take a while to figure out. We're in the early stages of this financial tool. I think the smart people who I trust and have convinced me that these tools are good tools. They were used very poorly. And, and this is the first major hiccup. This is very standard. You try something out, you screw it up real badly, and then you think, boy, I got to use it a little more intelligently next time. Hopefully, hopefully that's what is happening now.
1: So we're at npr.org slash money.
0: npr.org slash money. And we are eager for your questions either there or at planetmoney at npr.org.